Stories Behind the White Coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Welcome to Season 3 of Grayscale. It's been seven months since Season 2, which is kind of embarrassing, but through the delays and setbacks, we're finally here, full with nasal congestion. This season, we're going to be mixing it up a bit with who and how we record our episodes. I'll be releasing them every couple of weeks, so be on the lookout for them. And a special request, which I haven't made before, if you can rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you use, it'll help us spread these stories even further. On our first episode today, we're having a number of residents and faculty give a brief reading of what they wrote in response to the writing prompt, write about a time you felt a loss of control. This was a breakout group during our recent narrative medicine workshop. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Our first speaker is Carla, who's our program director at a residency program and is probably one of the most in-control people I know, so I really appreciate her sharing her story with us. I'm feeling my generational age gap with you all right now because, uh, like, there are so many out-of-control moments I had to choose from, um, <laughs> which is just the consequence of, of being on the planet for a long time, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I know we always talk about, like, not having favorites. Like, this is a thing about children and patients, right? You're not supposed to have favorites. But... Um, this patient and her family were so special to me. And so, um, you know, I, there, she died several years ago and I still just think about her from time to time. And so while it matched the prompt, I think I've always looked for ways to tell this story. So I was grateful to have a space for it. My patient had early onset dementia. She had two devoted children who worked hard to support her while at the same time navigating their busy young adult lives. They bought houses across the street from each other, in Seattle, so she could wander back and forth between them, feeling some freedom to move about the city without being too far out of sight. I am a geriatrician, so I have to be an expert in dementia. I diagnose it when other busy providers have overlooked it. I name it with patients and families, saying out loud what no one wanted to hear, but usually someone else knew was true. But this patient was different. Her trajectory was like an airplane knocked out of the sky from cruising altitude into a rapid, unplanned descent. My prognosis and predictors were wrong. Her time at home collapsed faster than any of us could have imagined. The last time I saw her and her daughter together was in the hospital. She was admitted for symptom management because she literally hadn't slept in three days. She paced the halls incessantly in her delirium unable to sit even for a moment before being compelled to start walking the halls again. Her daughter walked the halls with her, trying to keep her from falling down, just as I imagine she may have walked the halls at home with a restless newborn someday in the future. Who knew caring for the actively dying is like caring for the newest among us? Our next speaker is Claire, who's one of the faculty at our program. It's 5.30 a.m. again, somehow, and I can't get out of bed, but I do it anyways. Here's the kitchen and my breakfast alone. Here is the frozen car door handle. I sit on the icy leather, keys in hand, for two minutes, then make myself put them in and drive. 
The streets are empty, and the sidewalks are covered in snow. I turn the same turns as yesterday and the day before. What awaits me is yesterday and the day before. My exit approaches. My head is empty, and the median is covered in snow. For an instant, I think I could drive this car to anywhere or nowhere, but I do it anyway. This wasn't the first thing that came to mind um, when I first read the prompt. Then I was actually thinking about like a joyful experience of feeling out of control um, and like being in a very like being very physically grounded in what I was doing and kind of the freedom that comes with feeling so physically connected. Um, I was thinking of like a moment when I was like out on a boat in a lake in the middle of Honduras and like with no one that I knew around me and just feeling super free um, and out of control in that way. Um, then it made me think of this other moment, um, which was kind of like the, the under, what's, what's the stranger things? Um, oh, uh, the underneath. <laughs> what is that? Upside, upside down, down. Upside down. That was um, the upside down of that moment. <laughs> um, where like I felt really empty in another way um, and like very like mentally disconnected in in this like very like deeply sad way um, and how that also felt like a loss of control um, and feeling like in those moments that my, I would entertain decisions that I would never entertain otherwise that when I'm in control that I would never think about. Dora, second-year resident. I sat on the edge of the bed, rocking back and forth, breathing, and then forgetting to breathe, as my mind focused on the task that lie ahead of me, which apparently needed so much brain power that basic bodily functions took a backseat. When I think about other times, I felt like things that were out of my control, like my parents getting divorced, finding out about college acceptances, being sexually assaulted, Uncertainty about what I would eat that day or where I would sleep that night, safety in my neighborhood, etc. At least I had one certainty in a time when everything else felt out of control. She was my mother. Even if the whole world deserted me, I had her. This was the first time where I ever entertained the idea that I would no longer have the one person I could count on, and worst of all, it would be all my fault. These were the thoughts that ran through my head still on the edge of that bed, as I began to remind myself to breathe, and then stand, and then walk to where she was. I was about to tell my mom the only secret I had ever kept from her, that I was gay. Yes, I had told other people, like my best friend and my brother, but that was different. And even though I expected them to be supportive, if they weren't, I would survive. But the reason this was scarier than even when my own life was at risk was because I truly, for the first time, feared losing the one person who I could always count on and the one person that I could not live without. And that has been a level of fear that I have had not experienced, nor have experienced since. The story is challenging to share, but I think it's an important one for a couple different reasons, both personally, um, which I'll talk about first, and then also as a community. Um, but for personally, I just think, you know, 
I just feel like a lot of things are often out of my control. And I think a lot of people resonate with that, um, especially in kind of the field that we're in, um, in medicine. Um, but, you know, many of us, but not all of us, have people we can count on or practices that we can come back to, like meditation, religion, other friends, community, family, et cetera, whatever that is for you. But when you take away the, the foundation, um, and for me, that's my mother, but for, for you, that might be something else or somebody else. Um, I don't even know what to do anymore. That even in, in times where control is so hard to find, there's at least one thing you can count on. And when you take that one thing away, that to me is, is a whole nother level of fear. Um, and then I think in our community um, and some of the younger folks, but not always, um, like I'm a young person myself and a lot of people are surprised to hear stories like this around me coming out and around fear and, and fear of not being accepted. But I think it's important to share that those things still happen. Um, and it's important to share that, that the reality is, is that, many, that these decisions eat away at many of us. Um, and sometimes there are happy endings and sometimes there are not. Um, but no matter what, you know, no matter who you are and no matter whether you're going through similar, something similar to this or something completely different, um, that it is scary, and especially when it involves people that are really close to you, but when possible, and sometimes it's not always possible, to try and make those moves forward when you can. Anya, third-year resident. <laughs> My story came from thinking about clinic and times I feel out of control there, which are numerous. But also, I had recently been remarking that um, I was having a fewer percentage of visits that like I would look, look and like really like the person, but kind of dread the visit for various reasons. And like kind of think, well, what does it say about me that like it just being easier to not have them on my schedule when I really like them and know they need to get back. Um, anyhow, sitting with my Amaric speaking patient, her caregiver and a computer interpreter. And my patient tells me I'm going to Ethiopia for three months and I need enough of all of my medications. I start going through the usual ropes of our monthly, although seemingly minimally productive, visits. What are you currently taking of this bottle? Once or twice per day? How much insulin are you taking? What are your morning blood sugar numbers? And are those from memory or written down? Who is reading your glucometer and are those numbers accurate? Any mornings where you wake up shaky, sweaty, anxious, or off? Is that dizziness you mentioned new or is that the dizziness that's been going on for years? And do you check your blood sugar when you feel like this? I look at her blood pressure and consider the meds she tells me that she's been taking, and it takes another five minutes to confirm that she actually didn't take her stated meds this morning. I look at the clock and turn my attention to putting orders in the computer. Wait, why are you saying that you are low on insulin when I see several recent insulin orders with refills? Do we need to go back and confirm dosing again? It's getting to well past noon and the interpreter needs to go and all the nurses are at lunch. Doctor, she says, can you please help me label my medication so I know which is which? Anne-Marie, second-year resident. I honestly don't feel in control most of the time, which is probably how most anxious type A people feel. I think I let myself feel least in control in my romantic choices, the counterbalance to the rational life I've chosen, using love as this foil where I can't help the choices I'm making for once. I love my partner across a wide swath of difference, to the list of quickly obvious differences that were there when we met, I've been added several unanticipated ones, including a life-altering experience of injustice for them, 
that I would never be at risk of experiencing myself, something which they have no control over and which I have even less control over and seemingly nothing to contribute except loyalty and keeping faith and loving them, walking next to them through whatever comes next. I think I chose this because it's the closest to my life right now, um, but also I think there's a loss of control that we often feel in, in medicine that has some structure to it and that there's a point we can sort of tap out and say that, that things aren't totally in our control and there's no way that we can control all these things and, um, and that maybe that's okay because there's a limit to our role. And I think in personal lives that, that those lines are harder. Um, but I think also uh, this has been a process of, choosing not to be in control and, and letting that happen and um, kind of pushing against an impulse to control things or to, uh, to not trust things I can't control. Um, so it's maybe not a loss of control, but a giving up of control in some way. Does anyone want to talk about why they made edits to their story that they did? I know. So for those listening, this is our second round of telling the same story after a round of edits. But I'm curious if anyone made substantial edits, and if so, why? Um, similarly, talking about experiences that are ours, but not quite ours, um, I think I, I made changes and still haven't quite, I'm not quite happy with um, t- talking about a choice I'm making to accompany someone through something that they've don't have any choice in um and like valuing that for myself while not centering it which has kind of been a a process throughout but i think is a hard thing to say in the right way i think one of the difficult things is as physicians we have patients come and see us for 10 12 minutes or so and they have to tell their story in that amount of time perfectly to convey exactly how they're feeling and how difficult it is for us sitting here thoughtfully in a quiet room um, with time and an edit that we still can't get our story exactly the way that we want it uh, conveyed. How difficult that must be for patients to feel that pressure of the doctor's going to see you now and like the spotlight's on you and that, that intensity of having to convey everything in that period of time. The process of editing, I think, I find as a fascinating one because I, while our stories at their core are, are unchanged, right, even when we make these edits, um, we get to, to mold the message or the priority maybe of the messages that we want to share with our, with our listeners and our audience. Um, and I think that when I think about editing, it's also not just about what we add or what we change, but it's also what we continue to omit. And so one of the things that I was entertaining adding into my, into my story was at the end, because maybe there might be some listeners out there wondering like, well, did his mom, did, did, <laughs> did she, did she not, how'd it go? Um, and and so the answer is it, it went lovely. Um, she, of course, supported me. And, but the point is, is that my story was not about, you know, that the 90, it was 99.999 bar repeating that, of course, she was going to be lovely and supportive. 
it was a fact that that fear and that uncertainty existed. And that's mm-hmm. where the sense of feeling out of control is. And that's why I opted not to add in like a little mm-hmm. cute little line at the end saying yeah. like, and just for y'all to know, <laughs> it went well. Yeah. Um, because I, I really wanted to focus my message on, on how, how truly scared I was in that moment. And, and that, that fear is real for many of us in various other situations. And so I just wanted to share that part of my story. Yeah. Yes. She's, she she loves me. (laughs) Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. A very big thank you to all the speakers who shared their story with us today. If you'd like to share your own story, contact me at thebadhumors.com. And as always, a very big thank you to our patients who continue to enrich our lives through shared experiences.